Welcome to Sci-Fi Tech Talk, the podcast where we explore the technology of sci-fi. I'm Julie Keel, and with me today is Mike McPeak. Hello. And Jeff Sire. Hello, everybody. This week, we're going to be covering a book from 2011 called Ready Player One. Um, A quick synopsis from Goodreads says, In the year 2044, reality is an ugly place. The only time teenage Wade Watts really feels alive is when he's jacked into the virtual utopia known as the Oasis. Wade's devoted his life to studying the puzzles hidden within this world's digital confines, puzzles that are based on their creator's obsession with the pop culture of decades past, specifically the 1980s, and that that promised massive power and fortune to whoever can unlock them. When Wade stumbles upon the first clue, he finds himself beset by players willing to kill to take this ultimate prize. The race is on, and if Wade's going to survive, he'll have to win and confront the real world he's always been so desperate to escape. That's a decent synopsis. Unlike some that we have on the show. (laughs) Yeah. Actually tells you a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know, for me, this was like... uh, I never played all these games, uh, but this is the culture of the '80s. Yeah, that was kind of a massive flashback because the character in this book, well, the 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 main character, the guy who develops this game, he was a teenager in the '80s, and I was a little bit, old, probably about ten years older than he was. But I mean, I grew up with all this stuff, and the thing. Um, the thing, uh, the per- my personal connection to this book was where they were solving like the second puzzle, um, where they had to get onto the the Tandy color computer and play that Dungeons Daggeroth game to, um, um, I think it was to get to the first key or whatever it was. Yeah. I mean that that was my first computer I owned. I mean I love that computer so much. I I literally have it tattooed on my arm here. Um, <laughs> and I think if I look around, I might actually have the Dungeons of Daggeroth game around here somewhere. Wow, um, that's freaky. <laughs> it is. Yeah, and I could never win that damn game. Uh, but. Uh, yeah, so I mean, you, I think everybody that kind of you know is around our age, um, you know, that grew up uh, when this stuff or matured when this stuff was going on, uh, is going to re- uh, kind of relate and see things in there and go, yeah, I did that, I remember that, I did all this stuff, uh, and to pull it together inside the concept of a video game, I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah, this is really it's a, I I actually read the entire book in a week, which I never do. Um, so it's a fairly light read and it's, it's, it's massive, you know, just throw down your geek cred and roll in it type of book. Um, if you don't like video games, you're probably not going to like this book, um, because you won't have any touch point. I mean, it is strictly video game within video game within video game, um, references and and you know culture and whatever so um but for those who have ever played any video game you don't have to be a massive gamer um you can you know just appreciate the the culture and it i find i found the book enjoyable although not real deep there's not real message it's it's it felt kind of like a teenager book yeah well this is this is like a modern Retelling of the Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Mm-hmm. Like right. the plot is very, very, very similar. It's like uh, okay, we've got this kind of competition that's 
really going to be limited to just a few people that are able to participate, and uh, the winner kind of takes over the whole keys to the castle almost, right. and in, in this case, almost literally. And uh, you guys were talking about video games. I think it's actually a bit more than video games too. Like it's 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 because uh, of the Dungeons and Dragons thing. It's this is like an homage to eighties geek culture, or like that that kind of early. You know, like the geeks that ended up taking over the world, this is what they all had, you know, growing up. Right, and it and it goes beyond that because they talk about movies and TV shows and stuff, but they're not, they're not talking about, you know, chick flicks and action adventure movies. They're talking about things like you know war games and, um, what, Back to the Future. I can't remember all the movies they talked about, but, um, you know, it's definitely pop, pop culture from a nerd's viewpoint yeah. um, through the 80s so yeah but it was interesting uh, that you know there's stuff in here you know kudos to whoever did the research there's stuff in here that it's like man you know either I'd never heard of it before or forgot it exists or didn't have any sort of um, knowledge of some of the details of, of what was described in the book um, and, and I mean it's like this is like this is like pub night trivia in a novel um, oh yeah, yeah. Well, and, and like I say, I respect it because you know, kind of going back to my uh, my color computer that they had, and that I always called that the kind of the Rodney Danger appeal to the computers at that time because it didn't get the you know, the respect I thought it should. <laughs> well, yeah, you had Apple computer, you had uh, Commodore, you had all those, and this one, you know, they called it even in the book and even amongst the people who loved it, it was called the Trash Eighty. Um, and like I say, but to bring the, you know to put actually put that in there, and I think you got a fair cross representation of you know uh some of the computers and stuff um uh from that time although it was uh i don't remember many computers beyond that actually involved in there then he went on the video games and arcade games and everything but um you know just to kind of represent the um the lesser known ones in there i thought was kind of like he he did a little research to know something about it that's what amazed me i mean the 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 low-hanging fruit yeah whatever everybody knows that sure but there's some deep dives into into nerd you know stuff whether it be video games or characters in video games or dialogue in video and or movies i mean seriously like one of the the ways that he he won you know we'll call it the golden ticket that's a really good analogy is the willy wonka thing i hadn't put that together but that's exactly it. but one of the ways he earned yeah. the golden ticket was to recite things from uh like war games and or monty python and the holy grail you know word for word the, the entire movie um, I know people that can do that. <laughs> so, you know, that's um, you know, it's it's a uh, a level of nerddom that first off exists, and secondly, um, you know, one of the things I guess that I thought of as I was reading this book was like, oh my God, this person has invested massive, massive quantities of time and effort into experiencing different video games and movies and and TV shows and whatever. I don't think he did. I don't think so either. Much less taking I think all he did was he drew on his childhood and then uh, did a little bit deeper investigation into some of these things that interested him. I bet most of this stuff that he wrote about was carry-around knowledge. Well, no, you mean the author. 
Yeah, the author. Yeah. Sorry. yeah, yeah. See, and I was I was talking about the the lead character, the Wade oh, Watts. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He he as a character spent essentially his entire life doing nothing but researching and you know preparing for and taking notes for this game that he didn't even know was going to exist. But he the the Oasis was something. This virtual world, we'll call it, um, existed essentially since the day he was born. So um, it was kind of all he knew so and he had a deeper appreciation of it because of you know watching these movies and these video games oh. and tv shows but yes the author i agree i think a lot of this stuff was just stuff he was carrying around with him or, and he probably had to fill in yeah. some of the gaps or got his circle of friends together yep. and you know here have a beer and let's talk about our childhood and then he took notes uh or his nerd friends yeah. uh, anyway and do you guys I, think we're headed for this though like the oasis type well, of uh, experience <sighs> it's hard isn't it yeah it really yeah. is well the way I was describing this uh, movie to people when I uh, discussed it it was Willy Wonka uh, meets uh, Second Life do you guys yeah. uh, remember Second Life it's still out and, there and, and that's just yeah. it though you said do you remember that was supposed to be the Oasis when it was first introduced right. it was supposed to be that's why it's called Second Life um, it right. was supposed to be and, you know the replacement for the real world it did not I had I had an account there, and I went back uh, after I read this and, you know, uh, signed up again and kind of walked around. And it's like, yeah, this is, you know, interesting, but um, I don't know. Yeah. Well, and, you know, to, and the justification for this in the book is that the rest of the real world has gone to crap. Yeah. Uh, the, the economy's tanked. The uh, environment sucks. Uh, and so this is, and uh, I guess inside that, um, Virtual world is the only place that there's a stable currency, uh, and so everyone retreats into there rather than deal with the real world. Slap on your mm-hmm. VR headset and your haptic feedback gloves, go in there and hide I, or create I, your own world. I actually remember Second Life because we had I actually took classes through Second Life. Um, we were doing that. That was actually um, schoolwork um, for a graduate level program was to learn second life and do things on second life and take classes using second life so that was a thing um and that was over 10 years ago at this point i think so the the second life never did grab hold and i'm not quite sure why because if you compare that to world of warcraft which did grab hold and is still out there and still 10 million people or something like that is are still active in it um he, you know, honestly, I think there is something to this idea of when the world goes to hell, you know, let's just go play video games and escape. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yes, there will be addicts. There will be addicts that carry it too far and, you know, get lost. Um, but I have a uh, question for you guys about dystopian futures. Because, like, this is a book that essentially is a dystopian future. Mm-hmm. And uh, whenever they write. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to put this in words well, but whenever you read a book or see a movie where it's showing you a dystopian future, it's always like our opinion of what an awful place would be. 
Right. But I wonder sometimes if those people who were like, I bet we are living in a time when people who were, you know, 50 or 60 years ago would have thought that this was horrible. So are we living in a dystopian future, even though we're happy with it? You could, you know, I, you could, I could, that's a fun thought to play with because, you know, there was a time when you wanted to be surrounded by family and have a farm and everything. And the fact that we all live in these individual single family homes with nothing but nuclear families and hell, I don't leave the house weeks at a time. That's, you know, some people's idea yeah. of hell, um, but you know. But we're but we've created a world that, that we are happy with and right. we like, and we find it difficult to see, you know, the 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 point of view from fifty or sixty years ago, right? Yeah. What well, yeah. What you're and, saying is, one man's paradise is another man's hell. Well, and, sure. And yeah. we and we adapt. I mean, some people. I mean, there are people living in the I don't remember what they call them, the ghettos of Rio de Janeiro that are perfectly happy with that i mean not that that's a good thing and that they should stay there but you know why be unhappy if you can't escape i mean they're just happy people you know and so and there are other people who live in what we would call very nice conditions and and um you know have all the the perks and they're not happy so to some extent it's a bit of expectations and what you're used to um, that plays into that. So, you know, as time goes on and the world goes to hell and, you know, or gets better or whatever, I mean, it's that's what it is and you get used to it and that's kind of what you expect. So, you know, it is what it is. Right. So, yeah. Do you guys think there's a potential that, that uh, something like World of Warcraft or, or something else might come along? But, like, say that they changed or tweaked World of Warcraft so that it was not so much a game, or or they had places in it where they're strictly dedicated to either offline commerce, or you know, just made it more feasible to be a social place where they could start to kind of veer away from. Okay, well, we still have the game, but we have this other experience that would draw people in to like essentially like in this like oasis, like live at least part of their day online. You know, the Oasis was... Talking about the two big 800-pound gorillas in the room, World of Warcraft and Second Life. Um, Because Second Life basically is the Oasis. I mean, if if anybody had ever been in Second Life and you heard about this Oasis, you'd go, that's exactly what they were trying to do. You could go in there and build stuff. You could go in there and buy stuff. You could, you know, um, travel around. You could fly. You could... You know, and, yes, it was Second Life, but it was interest. It's still interesting to me that Second Life didn't take off, and World of Warcraft did. And and I do remember one of the things was, and maybe it was because we were spoiled. But user interface, um, having played World of Warcraft before I got into Second Life, um, I found getting around Second Life completely maddeningly frustrating. Um, yes, it was. Yeah, <laughs> and it and it did because, seem like work. You had to go in there and do stuff like build things and earn money you know world of warcraft seemed like fun let's go kill a bunch of you know wild boars and you know so but you know you say you have to build things now i'm a big minecraft enthusiast and uh and maybe we've kind of creating our own little uh thing here but uh i bought uh, i've got a uh, minecraft realms and so my family and i my uh two sons and my daughter uh, to live in uh, a, a half hour away. My daughter lives about three hours away. But we've all gone into this Minecraft realms where we can socialize with each other. We're building things. We're doing stuff. Uh, and then we start up a Skype
Skype session while we're in there so we can communicate with each other, give each other grief. So we've, we've kind of um, simulated this to you know a certain degree. And you know, you're running around in there, you're, you are building, you are doing things, but that seems more social, more fun, more you know, than because in Second Life, it's like you know, you're walking around, you're doing this, and maybe I'm just not doing it right, uh, or maybe I don't have the right people in there to make it the experience that I want. But like I say, uh, we've kind of done the same thing there. And that I could see where, you know, you're interacting with people. And I think we do want that virtual space so we're, where we can be together without physically being together. Yeah, and I have no right. experience with Minecraft, so I can't speak to that. It right. sounds like it's awesome. But I think one of the <laughs> things that's, that the Oasis had that Second Life didn't, that World of Warcraft also had, is fantasy. I mean, these yeah. guys are going in and they're not being like you know, dressed in Levi's. Well, I guess he actually you did. You started with jeans and a black t-shirt. But then you got, you know, the sort of, of damnation or whatever. Um, and, you know, so there was that fantasy element to it as well. Um, and you would travel from world to world, and e- each world would have a theme, and you could, you know, you could actually buy your own world or build your own world and make it what you wanted. So variety was a thing. Um, and there was certainly variety in Second Life, but it was... I don't know. There was just something about Second Life. It was. It's like, <laughs> I hate to make this analogy, but it's like the difference between a living body and a corpse. Whatever spark it is that brings life, Second Life didn't have it. Um, you know, it just, it was just... It, it's missing a soul. Yeah, the thing basically, that, yeah. The, the thing that kind of gets people uh, enthused and, you know, yeah, because World of Warcraft, it's, you know, the gameplay, it's the fantasy, and, uh, and I think maybe uh, Second Life was a little too too open. Uh, I mean, they want you, they would let you be whatever you wanted to be, but sometimes I think people like to be kind of at least led in a general direction or have some purpose. And yeah. that was part of it, too. I don't think that they're, you know, in World of Warcraft and most video games, you have a somewhat of a defined path to proceed through at least the first few levels. You need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this and this. Then you finally get to this upper level where now you maybe have choices. You can pick professions or whatever. Whereas Second Life, it's like, here you are. Go do things. It's like, it's like sitting around with It's yeah. like sitting around with your friends doing what do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? <laughs> to me, it's like somebody saying, here's a blank sheet of paper. You, you you certainly want to write a novel, don't you? Everybody wants to write a novel. And I'm like, no, really, I don't. I don't have any stories that I want to tell that are worth telling. No, I don't. I'll, I'll make a grocery list. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, I will draw a smiley face. Yeah, that's about it. I will yeah. play tic-tac-toe with myself probably. So, you know, it's like whatever. So it's uh, – um, yeah. So, though, but the Oasis, you know, it's interesting too that it sounded like the Oasis. The book is set in the year 2044, which is not that far out. And once again, you know, in 2044, we're going to read this book and go, "What?" Um, but in um, it, the Oasis started about now-ish you know it's it's, it's there both yeah the early days would have been about now matter of fact there's references to will wheaton and cory doctorow i think in the book as being the yeah. the grumpy old men of the um <laughs> oasis you know um board of directors or something like that i thought it was funny because they had will wheaton read the audiobook that i listened to and he actually <laughs> yep. is talking about himself as the grumpy old man oh god really yeah, yeah. oh that would have <laughs> been brilliant 
and then talking about uh, uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation too. There's uh, there's a few things in there. I'm going. How did he keep a straight face? Uh, oh, I didn't realize Will Wheaton read it. I re- actually oh, read yeah. the book, not the audio book. Damn it. Anyway, but yeah, uh, and I thought I did a good job. But yeah. Well, it's interesting. Okay, there was a couple bits of, for lack of a better term, technology. I think you know you talked about the economy went to hell. And um, it was basically, I think it was mostly like climate collapse that drove it. It was an energy crisis, and then there was like a famine, and you know, so it sounded like it was kind yeah. of a, 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 a climate collapse type of thing. And it happened. They actually talked about how quickly it happened that people that had grown up with the world that we know, um, you know homes and jobs and cars and food and you know electricity and those types of things um, within 50 years it turned into oh essentially the walking dead um, so yeah. you know how, how tough that adjustment would be on that generation but the the character in this book grew up under that environment which meant that he, he was essentially an orphan um, and grew up in what was referred to as the stacks and the stacks yeah. were basically <laughs> RVs and shipping containers and trailer houses stacked one on top of the other because I can't remember exactly why they said that had happened. Um, but everybody wanted to be close to towns or cities, but they couldn't be in the I don't, yeah. There was so, but partly because you couldn't travel very well anymore. The cars weren't a thing, you couldn't drive places. Well. It was a combination of travel and internet because everyone is, you know, in the oasis, and so they needed some place. Because uh, even in the book, they talk about uh, he goes to was it Columbus, Ohio? Yes, yeah. It, Columbus, they, Ohio becomes the mecca of the world because it has the best uh, internet. I well, love because that. it's the headquarters headquarters of the oasis, oasis. I believe. Yeah, I mean, I yes. absolutely love that. Oh yeah. Uh, and you know, of all the you know technologies that I think sometimes I wish would just die, trailer houses are one of them because I've lived in uh, one for a number of years, and they, they serve a purpose. But God, once you get out of them, you really you know appreciate how awful these things were. But uh, they're, they're still around, and they're stacking on top of each other, which is not a recipe for disaster at all. Yeah, no, and then, and the actual cover of the book. I mean, there's two covers to the book that I've seen. There's a like a red and yellow one and then there's a cover that essentially is a piece of artwork that depicts the stacks and i i spent some time looking at that going this is kind of crazy <laughs> you know what's the problem to be solved here you know they're trying to pile people they're trying to build high-rise apartment buildings without building high-rise apartment buildings is what they're doing so and then there, and of course when you do that there is no hallway or elevator i mean basically think of like warehouse um racking and then you shove a, an RV and a, or a, a container or, you know, a trailer house in there. And so you just have to kind of crawl down these ladders. And we're talking like, I don't know, 40 units high. Um, so that alone, that, that bit of technology that was in this was, was interesting. It was, was a, an interesting way to handle that particular, you know, housing crisis. As you said that, I just Googled uh, Ready Player One art, and now I'm getting all this stuff, fan drawings and stuff. But, yeah, they do have some depictions of the uh, 
the stacks in here and you know i kind of envisioned it in my mind but looking at what these people came up with it's like holy crap um it's like a scaffolding with these things just jammed in there and steps going up the side uh, you know uh, i don't know how much of this is officially sanctioned but you know uh, i'm sure it's fan artwork and i'm just and it does kind of blow my mind just to look at uh, some of what they they conceive here yeah it's uh it's kind of crazy it's um and that that bit of technology is is one piece of it. There is there's this whole other thing about, and this is actually a thing. I mean, I see Google ads daily for this. Um, the kids could go to a physical school, you know, crawl down the stacks and go to school, get beat up because you're a nerd, um, or they. And this is this is something like in 2044 that was introduced that you could go to um, online school through Oasis. I believe, um, and so you know, as soon as that was allowed, this Wade Watts, the, the main character, signed up for that. And I'm like, you know, I get ads on a daily basis to do online high schools. I mean, that actually is a thing in this state. Um, well, so, oh, what? Yeah, down here too. I mean, we have in our school, we have uh, what we call the uh, the ABC room. I forget what ABC stands for, but. Um, they go in there and they can take online courses. There's somebody, and I mean, it's not virtual reality like this is, but I mean, it is a thing that you can take online classes and in here they've just taken it to the next level where you strap on your VR headset and you're in there, and which would make it more interesting because if you're just sitting there in front of a computer doing things, whereas being you know in a virtual classroom where you can engage. And the other thing that we've done here for a while too is long distance learning where you have cameras set up in another classroom uh, and uh, so you you know, it's a video presentation, but it's an interactive video presentation where you can talk to the other students uh, in other classrooms and talk to the teacher. So we're we're sort of dancing around the edge of it here. It's just that th- in here they take it, combine it, and so it's like you're you can uh, in your mind you can actually be in the classroom with these people rather than just sitting staring at a screen uh, and trying to interact with them. Yeah, and I was deeply involved in that at one point, and it and. You know, it it actually works better than people wanted to give it credit to, but I think it's been proven at this point. People don't go, you know, oh my God, you can't possibly do that. So yeah. Um, let's see, what else was there for? Also, by the way, Google Ready Player One art because oh my God, some of these are amazing. <laughs> I know, and the thing is, and they're making a movie out of this. Um, I think what they say. Tw- I think they're going to release it twenty March thirtieth, twenty eighteen. They were going to do it earlier, but then it would uh, come up against Star Wars Episode uh, was that Eight. Yep. Uh, so it got pushed back a little bit. But uh, I, Spielberg is uh, slated to direct, and um, I was looking over some of the people that uh, I don't know that anybody's been confirmed yet to, to, to star in it. But there's names tossed around. Uh, Simon Pegg. Uh, oh, that would be brilliant. Yeah, so they're, uh, they started filming it this summer, so oh, they might actually be done. Okay, well, that could be. Uh, yeah, Simon Pegg is going to be the great and powerful Og. This could be fascinating. I just, I, yeah, okay, that will be, that. yeah. I'm, uh, I'm John, excited, I'm sorry, I just got excited. Yeah. Well, John <laughs> Williams is going to provide the music, so I mean, you've got a cast. Yeah, I mean, heavy you've got, hitters. 
Yeah, so you know, hopefully they will turn this. That's not a guarantee. Even heavy hitters can turn out duds. Right. But uh, you know, hopefully they'll do this right because, like I say, um, and if they if they get it right, they get all the visuals right. You're going to have a whole bunch of you know geeks and nerds like us who grew up around this time just throwing money at them. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, watch this movie because I think there is that part, especially you know as we get older and you know we uh, kind of the the. Our youth starts to look more appealing than it did back then, and you know you kind of want to go back. So you know nostalgia—it's a thing, and uh, some people want to you know relive it one way or another. Well, and so, I think it's got some appeal to younger folks too, because it is basically oh yeah. the Willy Wonka thing, where the the young poor kid saves the world, you know, type of or you know gets his dreams, you know, and they lived happily ever after at the end. So well. I guess when you when you boil it down, like this is a really, really, really old story because essentially it's the uh, oh the prince and the pauper. It's yeah, the, uh, yep. the 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 poor, yeah. poor orphan boy who who, uh, who becomes the king, right? Yep. yep, yep. Even I mean, Lord of the Rings. You have Aragon, who was yeah. a Strider for longer. I mean, just yeah, everything. I mean, you can go back to Greek mythology and find stuff like this. So yeah, yeah. You look at like. Uh, uh, again, not to say that Shakespeare isn't a great author, but you look down like all of these, you know, stories that he tells like are all just he he just went back and looked at you know what are all the stories and he just kind of stripped them away and and retold those very basic stories, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you some... know, King Lear is just the story of the father just who wants to ensure is the uh, um. The survival of his uh, kind of like his empire after his death, so he tries to, to, you know, set it in place before his death, and in doing that, he lives to see the destruction of his own empire. You know, right. like that's that's this. You you see that story in a whole lot of other things, and Romeo and Juliet. You, you yep. know, like they're yep. forbidden <laughs> love. Yeah, forbidden I mean, love. Yeah, yeah. That's as old as people. So you know. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure there's probably. I can't think of one right now, but I'm sure this, there's a, a Shakespeare play that covers somebody who's taken from, you know, like an Oliver Twist kind of story, you know, going from rags to riches sort right. of thing. Yeah. Certainly Great Expectations is like that. Yeah, well, that, but that's Dickens. But I mean, like, I'm sure there's a, a, a Shakespeare one that covers that. I just can't think of one. Yeah. Yeah. So, it, I mean, and so I think I, actually as a movie, this could be an awesome movie because the visuals could be pretty incredible I mean, it could also be a horrific bomb <laughs> that's true right? that's true yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean as long as they don't uh, get to the point where it's um, they're just oh look at these wonderful effects and they start throwing yeah. them at you um, because but, they can get lost in, I mean nerds can get lost in their hey how great is this and everyone else is going yeah. no it's not uh, so you need a well balanced nerd um, yeah. Well, doing for this. every Matrix, you have a Matrix Revolutions. True. Right? Where right. <laughs> yep. it's uh, like, oh, we, we did this one version of cyberspace so well, and then we just blew it on this other one. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I think, okay, let, let me rephrase it. It has the potential to be really awesome right. visually yeah. because not only do you have, you know, like the depiction of the stacks and, and the depiction of, you know, like, um, some of the just generic areas in the oasis, but then you have actual like you know video game footage and movie 
stuff and t- you know old TV shows. I mean, this, it could really drive. I mean, the people are kind of the '80s are kind of back in vogue right now, anyway. Um, and so this could really bring a lot of interest to some stuff that maybe folks hadn't really well, been exposed to. They 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 were aware of it, but they'd never seen it. Type of thing. Well, so well, and and I can envision you know families going here, and so you know mom and dad are sitting there. Yeah, this is the way we used to oh, play. Yeah. Can you imagine that? <laughs> yeah. Poor kids. And our kids are sitting. And the kids are sitting there going, well, although my kids were exposed because they played with my uh, color computer for uh, a number of years, too. So, I mean, they're aware of this stuff. And, I mean, uh, uh, my middle son, he uh, is into this kind of – he likes the old uh, – he has this thing for old computers. Uh, we have to kind of say no once in a while. And, you know, both him and I, we have to go and clean house once in a while. But, you know, even some of the old computers we like around here just because the – case or you know there's something about them you know we're, we're nerds uh we love our computers but but uh, we also have like a weakness for like when we look ahead we say oh yeah we're just gonna clean house and get rid of all this stuff like how many times have you heard well there's not going to be any books in the future bullshit <laughs> yeah as long as there's human beings there's going to be books now you might have a lot more ebooks or digital books but there will always be physical books. I'm actually, I, like, I'm already that way um, because yeah. my what I choose to keep in physical form, books and or movies, um, TV shows or whatever, are very personal. Uh, no, they're they're the things that are really important. They're like, right. I, if if the world yeah. went to shit, I want this physical yeah. book. Yeah. In my possession, I, I want a hard copy of this. I don't want every. I don't want a hard copy of Ready Player One. I mean, it's a nice yeah. book, but I don't want a hard yeah. copy of it. You know, I have other books like. Um, uh, you know, I should get a hard copy of Forever War because I think that's one that I would like to have after the apocalypse. Um, oh, yeah. So you know, um, so stuff and, like and that. And there's there's other things too, like games. Like electronic games are great, but. The chessboard is never going to go away. No. Like go, yeah, and uh, checkers, and like color. things like yeah. that. And and you even look now, like there's a huge renaissance in board gaming that's underway. Yep, and they're like the the board games, the new board games that are being produced today. I would say they're probably the best board games that have ever been produced in history. And like, and people like for as much. Uh, Usability and enjoyment as we get from online relationships, people will always want to sit at a kitchen table and play a game mm-hmm. with physical friends. Well, right? well, you you just described nerdtacular. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. <laughs> yeah, right? which is what you do. You right. go to there and you play board games with people all the time. But there there is yeah. something about even if you are like I'm at a screen all freaking day, yeah. and there are times when you just have to walk away. And like my personal um, thing is go dig in the dirt. I mean, I just I need to touch something that's not electronic for a while, you know. So things yeah. like board games well, and or physical books, uh, those types of things. I mean, they they give you that touch point with with reality. And in Oasis, I, I don't know that they have. So, obviously, there are addicts um, in Oasis that you know they they don't need those touch points. You can do this twenty four seven. So you know. But I think as a general rule, you know, there's still going to be something that's needed outside of the world. Even if it mirrors sure. what's I mean, going on in the world, like cosplays and conventions, you know. Yeah. Um, maybe it's just well, look, people who get together talk about the Oasis. Okay. Well, yeah. 
Well, and let's okay. put it this way. No one ever lost a game of checkers because the battery died. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, and as much as we like to, uh, um, you know, kind of bring out the, you know, the stereotype of the geek that lives in his, you know, mom's basement or whatever. I honestly think like in a lot of real tangible ways, our involvement today with social media has made us more social oh, not less good lord yeah. and, and 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 not just social in that like the three of us are widely separated by you know large distances and you know talk once a week we've made physical connections like all three of us have been together in one place and yep. met mm-hmm. and you know and we've we've made these physical connections where we we not you know not very often right but we get together with these people and have real relationships with them that that started out online. Yeah, and and the other side of that that I've seen is that people that I have met in real life um, that normally you would just go, hi, great to meet you, let's have this good time at this event or in this location for this one time, this one weekend or whatever, and then, oh gosh, you remember that guy that you met like, you know, 10 years ago there, that gal that you, you know, had a great time with when you went to this thing? Whereas nowadays you keep in touch, those things yeah. don't. They're not just the. To some extent, that's a burden. I mean, I, I will yeah. admit that it's like there are some relationships. It's like okay, really, a week was enough. You know, I really don't need to connect with you on every damn social network and continue to stay in touch with you for the rest of my life. There are some relationships that should be short term. I mean, they just don't need to go on you know and you can't keep in touch with every person you ever come in contact with throughout your life you just good luck with that um so (laughs) you know there are there are uh life cycles i guess to relationships but still the ones that stand out social media lets you keep you keeps you in touch well and the other thing is though too the thing about reality is um People, once you have to, once you meet people face to face, there's a uh, more of a degree, not a complete, but there's more of a degree of honesty there because we get to the end of the book and we find out a couple things about, you know, a couple of the characters there that this dude that he's been hanging out with actually turns spoiler. out to be a, yeah, a spoiler <laughs> actually turns out to be a black lesbian, um, <laughs> and you know, and the uh, Artemis, um, you know. You know, everyone creates their own uh, persona, their own avatar in there. Well, hers wasn't as bad, but you know, she had like this birthmark that she was horribly ashamed of, um, and so you know, she, her character uh, hid that. And so the thing about virtual reality is, you can become who you want to be, be that good or bad. Um, you know, the other thing I think it does allows you to do it allows you to get to know people as people without yes. physicality interfering. Yeah. And then when you finally, and this book is a great example of that. And when you finally do meet, there is that awkwardness. Even if you are right. very close online, there's this awkwardness when you finally meet somebody physically in person because you don't know exactly what they look like or how tall they are, that kind of things. But even if they're really kind of weird compared to how you had imagined them in your mind, the minute you start conversing, it's like, oh yeah, this is the same person I've been talking to for a long time. Yeah, we're cool. You know, so. I think it allowed, and I've heard this from folks with disabilities, that um, the Internet gave them connections that they would never get otherwise because their disability would interfere. Whereas online, you know, they're allowed to be themselves and people make that connection to their humanity rather than seeing them as this disabled person. Right. That's a a really good point. 
Yeah, and especially yeah. people who uh, like with um, uh, verbal type of issues. You know, being sure. able to type and being able to think things out before they type them, rather than trying to speak extemporaneously and you know that type of thing, has been really um, life changing for some folks. You know, well, it also. Hopefully, it kind of counteracts foot and mouth disease once in a while too. Cause, <laughs> oh no! Or sometimes know, it makes it worse. <laughs> well, this is true. Yeah, because there is no context when you're doing text. There is no context on the internet. So yeah. um, now, yeah, the the interactive thing where you can get more of a read on people. You know, that might actually be. Of course, I don't know. I'm trying to picture some of these forums uh, where people are leaving comments or stuff. If they were doing that, you know, with avatars or whatever, and they're sitting there shouting at each other, that might take comments to a whole other level. You know, base, basic rule of the Internet is never read the comments. Right. But, no kidding. <laughs> uh, yeah, but like I said, that could just make – yeah, vir- virtual reality could just take that to a whole new level. But, I mean, it's an interesting concept that to be able to uh, – you know, and as they – because we're, we're uh, right now in real life here. We're kind of on the edge. They've been messing around with VR for a while. Now they're starting to come out with these headsets. There's this kind of rush between Oculus and I forget who else is bringing out. Um, there's several people bringing out VR headsets and uh, the haptic feedback stuff. So like I say, we're at the edge. Or we're start. It's been around for a while, but we're starting to get to the point where maybe this thing is either going to take off or die with a thud. I'm not entirely sure. Well, what I'm what I'm enjoying about the VR revolution, if I can call it that, is that it's not a revolution. Nobody's out there, you know, pronouncing this is going to be the next greatest thing. I think they've learned where you know people have made that type of proclamation that they get burned by it. So, and maybe VR did early on, but they kind of they're going low key. They're going, you know, over here, and we're going to do this. Like I've seen VR used for like driver education. Um, you've, you could argue that some doctors are using a form of VR to actually do like surgeries and that types of thing, practicing surgeries. They certainly do VR for practicing uh, medical training. Um, so you know, there's there's these little niches that that VR is kind of getting accepted in, and the more it gets accepted in those places, it's kind of like um, self-driving cars. You know, people are all worried about self-driving cars. It's like, but they really like the car that will parallel park itself, um, or the car yeah. that will, you know, have ABS because that's a form of self-driving car. You're not in control of the brakes at that point. Um, you know, so those types of little little ways that that creeps in, and so you know, something like the Oasis and, and some of those other things too. You know, if it if it creeps into this area and it creeps into that area, and pretty soon it's kind of cool and it builds and it builds. Um, it's the building that that makes it become, you know, it's kind of like a snowball effect. Well, I think they took their lesson from uh, Second Life and some of those things like that, where this was going to be the next big thing, and they were making all these grand proclamations, right. and then they just kind of went, meh. Segway was the big one who said this was going to change the world. And everybody's oh. Going, oh, that's a cute toy. <laughs> yeah, I, I would still like to have one, but yeah, it wasn't because like we were going to redesign. One. I don't have one. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that would that would be kind of cool. I kind of wish I had it in school once in a while, running back and forth. But, oh, and, uh, but you know, they were going to redesign cities around this. And even you know, the great Steve Wozniak was you know big proponent, and this was going to change everything. And it's like, no, yeah. not really. No, not really. Yeah, but the, I I kind of think the jury's still out on that. Like, 
it's it was easy to say, oh yeah, things dead. But then like was it last Christmas where all of a sudden they had those those small oh, ones. Sure. Where they're skating around like. like I the, think the, there's the, something. Yeah, the kids the skateboard the kids one? toy thing. Yeah. 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 I've just I've seen some of those lately out on the street. Yeah. I think there's something. Right. But see, that's inherently to me, useful there, right? I do too. But, but that's the thing: is, yeah. is don't make the grand proclamation that this is going to change the world. Oh yeah, I, I agree with you. Like you can look at like uh, back when the you know the automobile was invented. Yep. Well, like the Model T was the you know the first you know huge production thing, but they didn't. They got past that really quickly. Like they decided, oh, you know, you know, it'd be better than having a fuel tank that we hold up in the air is we'll just keep it down at the bottom and have a fuel pump and like, you know, stuff like that. Like they did a bunch of things that, you know, we never do now. Like just because like the first design or the, the beta it's test is, is rarely the, the uh, alpha, right? No. Yeah. <laughs> well, they settled on things like steering wheels because I think before yeah. they had like two handles for steering, uh, and it just takes a while to work its way out. So maybe we shouldn't diss the Segway. Maybe it just hasn't yeah. uh, gone through its evolution properly. No, and, and the way I judge the success of you know some sort of um, societal change is by how widely it's adopted. And my, my best example of this is uh, shower poofy thingies. Um, nobody, you know, when, I, when those were first introduced, I mean, there was a time when there weren't shower poofy thingies. There was washcloths. Oh, okay, I know what. Yeah, okay. The, the, oh, okay. Yes. Yeah, and you, there was washcloths and there was loofahs, and loofahs were kind of a fad thing, you know, this hoity-toity whatever. And then all of a sudden, somebody, some football player was was talking, did a commercial for some soap. And had this shower thingy, and that's what they referred to it in as as the commercial. And slowly, those things started showing up, and now nobody uses washcloths. I mean, they still exist, and yes, I get that people still use them. I have one in my shower, too. But, you know, they essentially just took over. I mean, they they are ubiquitous. And to me, that's a a change, a a technology change, because that is technology that, you know, changed the world in a very low-key way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, in a low-key way. I was going to say probably, you know, the biggest example is, you know, what we have right in front of us here is the computer, because it started out, you know, like in the early uh, 80s, uh, 81, I bought my first computer, and people go, oh, that's cute. What do you do with it? And uh, and like I say, I I loved it so much, I got tattooed in my arm. But when you started out, it had a tape drive, a tape recorder, uh, not even a tape drive, but a tape recorder. You save stuff, too. And, you know, it's evolved, and it's gone from command line to GUI interface to, you know, everyone's trying to struggle with, What's going to be the next interface? You know, is it going to be virtual reality? What's how are we going to interact with our computer next? But that's been one of those things that it's. Uh, it was, you know, if we'd go back to like, um, you know, my dad passed away before the stuff took off. If you would have gone back to him and talked about computers, I don't think he would, you know understand or you know be able to conceptualize what we have today, or he'd look at it and you know in awe and wonder. At least I'd hope so. Um, but you know, it's one of those things that uh, they had an idea, and it's grown and it's evolved to where it is now. And I don't know that it's reached a final point. It's going to keep changing, but it's not going to be as drastic as you know the first five, ten, fifteen years of uh, you know the, the home computer uh, industry. Well, the one thing we haven't talked about as far as technologies from the book is the haptic everything. You know, there were so many different haptic 
devices and garments and things, you know, accessories to provide that real, you know, world feel of everything from, you know, the environment to people hitting you and, you know, um, there was like gloves and there was chairs and there were suits depending on how much money you had. Um, And so that whole idea of trying to bring the virtual world back to feeling like the real world, you know, trying to really make it immersive, um, that's that's an interesting, I mean, that's, there's work being done in that area. Um, Well, I think if they can cross that line, I think that's part of the reason why Second Life was kind of meh, because you're just sitting there in front of your computer watching your avatar run around do these things. If you could get to the point where you are your avatar, you could see from its point of view, and it was more natural than just hitting a keyboard and running around. If you could get to that point where you are like truly immersed, I think that's going to be when the oasis of our, you know, in real life here would come to be that uh, instead of just, you know, you sitting there in your room looking at this thing, you are in there, you can experience, you can do all this stuff. I think that will be the uh, singularity for uh, this kind of activity. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, Here's a a question, just a random thing that popped into my head. If we created a virtual reality that had um, haptic feedback, you know, basically just what you described. You were your avatar. You went into this other world and you were your avatar and you could go visit people and places. How close to the real world do you think that would be? I mean, like the, the virtual world would mirror the real world that you could go to, like, you know, uh, places that, that I've actually been in the real world, that, you know, like cafes in San Francisco or, you know, uh, the, the mall in Washington, D.C. or, you know, the well, London but- Tower let's ask this question how closely do you want to mimic the real world do you want famine wars and diseases in there is this this going to be the perfect real world yeah or is it just places you know like uh, you talk like the three of us rather than talking on skype and staring at a screen we could we could hop into our avatars and say hey let's meet today let's go to i don't know um kyoto and you know sit around the the golden pavilion and, and have our podcast that way this week um, you know, or would we say I'm, I'm all for that? I am too, actually. <laughs> oh, yeah, zap it on and bring it. I'm here. Or would we say, or especially a we, would we say, you know, this week rather than looking on Skype, let's go into Oasis and we'll meet you on oh I don't know Centauri 12 and we'll we'll sit by the volcanoes of um, you know the the third moon. You know, I bet you I bet you there would be a large chunk of it that would actually be at least certain places from the real world in an in a idyllic fantasy way well okay here's something to blow your mind let's you know just take it beyond the real world let's say we did an episode on the europa report on europa oh dear (laughs) or if we did this episode from the stacks that are in ready player one that would be depressing but sure Uh, yeah Uh, or the basement they had a basement chat room yeah, the basement. Yeah, I was kind of thinking that. Yeah, we'd have our own sci-fi tech talk basement chat room. Oh dear, I am not in charge of decorating that. Hmm, <laughs> this could be interesting. I was but, say- yeah, I, I think when they cross that line, I think that's when this thing will be. Yeah, because I mean, 
there are people i mean i would like to go places i've always said that i want the transporter from uh star trek to be perfected because it all goes back to star trek um so that i could instantaneously travel from here to there because I, I just i don't like the traveling part um and so this would be the next best thing that you could go virtually somewhere and if it's immersive enough that you can't tell the difference maybe that's the scary part if you can't tell the difference between reality and virtual reality um you know, is that going to be when uh, our people are going to start tuning out of the real world a lot like they did here? Because uh, I don't know if I'd want to meet some of these people in real life uh, that was in the Oasis. Because if they live in their rooms, how often do they bathe? What's their personal habits going to be did like? Did you catch that part of this? Um, there was a time, yeah, where this the main protagonist, Wade Watts, was, you know, what you, exactly what you described. The pale, overweight, slob whatever and then he got serious about trying to win this uh contest and um suddenly set his computer to say that you needed so many exercise points before you could play for the day and suddenly he wound up getting his you know life in order and got in shape and was you know doing all the things that you're supposed to do and i'm like you know how do i get that on my computer (laughs) (laughs) well that's actually uh you're seeing more and more of that the gamification of daily tasks and like yep. oh if you accomplish oh, just, this just then, the, then you the can uh, the idea that yeah, you need 10,000 yeah. steps and you get your little circles and or your green bar or whatever yeah. I mean yeah no yeah we're like that's one of the things that I think is only going to get bigger and bigger uh, I think we're only seeing like the leading edge of that wave right now yeah they're, they're just playing with it Apple likes to, they don't call this their hobby, but they have used that term with other technologies. And yeah, I think the the world is just playing, it's a hobby for for folks, this this wearable technology and fitness and health. Well, I bet uh, bet 10 years from now, um, the school that your kid goes to uh, will have an app that they'll have on their phone that will give them points for, you know, I don't know, activities or sports or the amount of homework that they're doing or stuff like that and allow them to compete against other kids in their classes. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And, and, you know, one of the nice things that that's possible with there is that, especially if you do it on a point system, you know, one student could earn so many points for just walking around the block while another student could earn the same amount of points for running around the block because they're just two different people. So, you know, yeah, it's uh, there's a lot of uh, potential there. It's going to be interesting to see where that goes. Well, but then you, uh, I'm sitting here thinking. For me, it kind of brings up. I don't know if it's quite an ethical uh, uh, quandary, but what I mean, are, what's the justification? You want people to do things sometimes because it's the right thing, not because you get points for it. I mean, points if it you know encourages people to do things, that's fine. But if it becomes the only reason that you're doing this is for points, you know, uh, you know, I give money to the stranger over there because I get points, not because I'm a decent human being and want to you know help somebody. I you know, <laughs> well that gets down to matter? like motivation for <laughs> you know? altruism. Like, yeah. you, right. you know, do you need to get a return in order for it to like? Uh, does getting a return nullify the good deed right some yeah and some people say yes personally i don't think that matters one way or the other like what matters is the good deed yeah if you were rewarded for it or not that is secondary what matters in the first place is that you did this good deed I, you know because some people say that there is no such thing as altruism because the idea is that um well if i do this good deed 
at the very least, I get a good feeling about it. Right. So that's the reason why I'm doing the good deed in the first place is that I feel good about myself because of it. Yeah. Well, who cares? Yeah. Like, like that's that to me, that's in, you know, how many angels can fit on the head of a pin. Like that's just totally right. meaningless because the point of the whole exercise is doing this good deed for another human being. Right. Yeah. And I can, I can take that entire argument a completely different direction and go, I am enough of a data nerd to, to, simply do exercise because I need another point in the bar chart. I need right. I need that daily number. So yeah. I might be brain and, and, dead, but I'm going to and do And who my, cares yeah. how you got there, right? Yeah, yeah the fact yeah. but yeah, the the just the fact that I need that data point is what gets me going. Not that I want to work out, not that I've got this grand and glorious goal, but damn it, I got a chart going and if I don't get today's data point, it's going to be a break in that chart and I can't live with that. And so <laughs> it's it's ridiculous sure. what motivates people. It's utterly ridiculous, but whatever motivates people is a you know, thumbs up in my book. So, yeah. Well, and I just had about 10 years of Sunday school flash before my eyes good works versus, you know, you know, faith yeah. or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it, Anybody with a Lutheran background, I think, would probably understand that. Yeah, but, it might yeah. be Protestant in general. Matter of sure. fact, there might be that might be more than even Christian. There's there's a whole bunch of faiths I think that pull on that whole you do good right. things just to do good things. But uh, Jeff's got a point there too. You do good right. things because you are getting something from that. You're getting See, that good. Feeling. And that, that's you're probably the, the atheist in yep. me right. <laughs> saying, "Who cares about you know the invisible guy in the sky?" What matters to me is that that good deed got done in the first place. Yeah, and if you're on the receiving end of the good deed, you don't care why yeah. you did it either. So. Well, it's it's funny. Like uh, I had a discussion maybe six or seven years ago with somebody online because my kids were still in high school at that point, and it was uh, somebody is in Ontario, the province that I live in in Canada. Uh, as a requirement for graduation from high school. The kids all have to do 40 hours of community service. And I would just made some comment. And this person said, well, that's immoral. I'm like, how do you figure it's immoral? And they're like, well, because you can't force somebody to do a charitable act. I'm like, F off. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like these kids are learning how to be adults. And yeah, I'm going to make you like, I think it's fantastic to make them do charitable yeah. things so they get their their feet wet now when they're adults if they don't continue on with that well that's that's fine but i'm going to make you experience this and i think that's fantastic and this idea that it's immoral like yeah. if, if, I don't if you objectively that. look at forcing children to do anything you could say anything you're forcing children to do math is immoral or well, something school is immoral like, yeah like Anyway. Yeah, so I, I I had a very different worldview than this person I was, you know, having this discussion with. No doubt. Well, okay, there's Ready Player One has this somewhat dystopian future, um, and it's, again, I would consider this, I don't think it's, you know, uh, categorized as a young adult novel, but it's kind of that level of depth of story and happy ending and, you know that kind of stuff. Um, it's all, it, almost Disney esque, in yeah, in the, almost in the, no, almost no hokey pokey going on in there. Right, I don't think there's any. Yeah, and uh, there's, yeah. there's 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 violence, but it's very sanitized. Even yes. even the violence that happens is pretty sanitized. And almost all the violence is stuff that happens online. So the consequences of that violence are 
negligible, right? Yeah, except there are actually two, at least, well, there's more than two, but there are two significant people killed physically, okay. you know, in the real world in this. So, yeah. so there is a little bit of a dark side. It's not, well, right. of course, Disney has its dark side, too. Right. Uh, let's not forget Bambi. But, um,. <laughs> But, yeah, I yeah. would say that this would be a uh, – yeah, it may not be categorized as a young adult book, but uh, I would say that I don't think I would have any problems recommending this to a teenager. Oh, gosh. No. Oh, yeah. This, this would be a sure. tweener-appropriate book. I mean, you could take this down to, gosh, a uh, precocious 8-year-old or so could handle this one. I mean, even younger if they're – depending on how precocious well, they are. For for that matter, like anybody in their forties is going to be really able to associate with all oh. of the cultural references. And for those who don't get the cultural references, this is kind of a really cool education. You know, um, I, I, there's so many cultural references thrown at you. Even I didn't recognize all of them or understand sure. what was being implied by it. But you know, suddenly I'm like, okay, I didn't know of that before. You know bucket list check where's you know put that on the, the list of things to do next so um if it's if if that's your era this is going to be kind of a um you know nice reminiscing if that's not your era it's going to be an interesting um introduction and somewhat explanation of some of that stuff um so you know it, it, the book i think's got a wide appeal which is probably why they're making it into a movie yeah. Well, well, yeah, because, yeah, that sells tickets. I just don't know how I feel about, you know, like some 8, 10-year-old looking at the stuff that I grew up with and laughing and snickering. No, they're but, doing you know. that anyway, so get used to it. Well, yeah, but, <laughs> sure. Okay. Yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> so, but, yeah, because nobody mocks anybody on the Internet. No, so, yeah. no, and kids never but, talk about how horrible their parents are. You like, know? I always think about, like, I, I think about my relationship with my kids and compare that to my relationship with my dad, specifically when it comes to music. Totally different. The Beatles were like such a huge dividing line. Like my dad and I had no musical interest in common at all, where I have a ton of musical interest in common with my kids. And I think it's like, like music didn't change in an even curve. Like in the late 60s, it was stood on its head, yep. and if you grew up before that, you didn't have a lot to, you know, to. There wasn't a through line for you, right? Whereas it was now, like there hasn't been that, you know, def- defining line that has separated me from my kids. Like they certainly have stuff that they like that I'm not into, and I have stuff that I like that they're not into. But we share a lot. We share yeah. way more common ground than we have than separates us, right? Yeah. No, I totally agree. Okay. I absolutely and, have and, had that conversation. And with Ready Player One, I think it's like video games. Like all three of us, we grew up in the video game era, even if it was kind of like ghetto type video, you know, eight bit stuff. And our kids can look back and like, oh, I like, you know, there, there, there is kind of a quaint thing to those kind of eight bit games. So. I don't think it's necessarily that they would look back at that stuff and laugh at you. They would just look at back in that and see it in, in like a, a quaint light. Where if it was somebody who was born in the seventies or something, or sorry, grew up in the seventies before, like the you know, like that they didn't have a kind of that anchor in computer games, that would be a much more of a dividing line between them and a younger generation. Yeah. And I think, you know, even, again, I think even if you didn't play video games, the fact that they were out there and, you know, they're just 
a bit of the culture at this point, even if you don't play them. Um, yeah, I mean, most people will know what, even non-nerds will know what, you know, like Star Trek is or, you know, the well, Beam Me Up Scotty you, and, you know, even 20-sided dice has become widely yeah. recognized as something. And you, uh, you know, maybe not so much anymore, but uh, you couldn't go to a Pizza Hut or any place like that without seeing a, a video game. So even if your family went out for pizza or went to, I'm trying to think where the places uh, when you know, growing up, uh, even pinball machines uh, was in the bowling alley and you know, a few cafes. So they had them strung around. So yeah, you had at least been exposed to yeah. uh, a lot of this stuff. Yeah. So. Of all the technology in this book, and honestly, there's a bunch, although it's kind of a narrow focus of technology. It's not this broad, expansive universe. Um, It's just kind of this one person's immediate environment and then this online world. So is there any of the technology you guys would want? The immersion uh, couch. The the haptic? uh, And the the oasis itself. Yeah, well, like I already got my color computer, so uh, <laughs> yeah, which I happen to love. Um, I don't know what there is in there. I mean, maybe some of the other retro stuff would be kind of cool, and then I'd have to build onto the house because I already have more crap than I need. But you know what? I'm as I'm sitting here pondering this question for myself. I'm thinking, you know, there's not much in there that if I wanted it, I couldn't just go get it. Yeah. You know, this as much as this is portrayed in the future, other than, you know, the stacks, yay, we don't have those. But <laughs> the rest of it, I mean, there are parts and pieces of it that if you wanted, if you wanted the haptic couch, you know what, the, those kind of exist. And the, all the retro games, I mean, shoot, you can go find that code online and play it on your computer. Um, and you play it on your phone. And Netflix, oh my gosh, you know, what do we do? We review movies from, you know, the 80s occasionally. <laughs> so, you know, so honestly, the technology that's in there, there's not much that's in there that you couldn't go get if you really wanted it. I think maybe the thing that uh, with this book is just the nostalgia, I think, mm-hmm. is that warm, fuzzy feeling of remembering things the way we want to, maybe not the way that they were. Uh, so maybe that's what we can take. <clears throat> excuse me, take away from this book is just that warm sense of fuzzy nostalgia of remembering things the way that we we want, and you know, kind of leaving out the the stuff that was not so good about the '80s and some of that stuff. Yeah, this is a very idealized picture of. I mean, again, this this book could have been written for Disney. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's it's very the violence is very Disney esque. The ending is very Disney esque. The, the the entire story plot is very Disney esque. So yeah, so I'll take that. I'll take the world that Disney, you know, creates. Sure. <laughs> that we all live happily ever after. Actually, you know awesome. what I'll take? I'll take Og's compound. I want his place in Oregon. Well, that'd be kind of cool. Yeah, I'm in. I'm, there you go. That's what I want. Anyway, I think that's going to wrap up this episode of Sci-Fi Tech Talk. Uh, you can check us out at scifitechtalk.com where there's some cool space junk available for purchase. You can pop into the forums there, take part in the conversation, or follow us on Twitter at Sci-Fi Tech Talk. If you have ideas or comments, please send them to greetings at scifitechtalk.com, and reviews on iTunes are always welcome. Mike, where can people find you? 
<laughs> well, yeah, if you want to hear more of what I have to say, you can find me on Twitter at DSC Chipman, and I have my about dot page at about.me slash Mike McPeak. And if you want to hear some of my other ideas and stuff on tech and just geeky things in general, uh, you can check me out on Geekiest Show Ever at geekiestshowever.com. And Jeff, where can people find you? People can follow me on Twitter at Bronco Sire. That's S Y E R. And I can be found uh, on Twitter at Julie Keel, J U L I E K U E H L. And links to the other blogs, podcasts, and whatever else I've got going on can be found at about.me slash Julie Keel. Next week, we're going to be covering the 2015 movie Synchronicity and IBM, some, IBM I, IMDB. Thank you. Um, summarizes that as a physicist who invents a time machine must travel back to the past to uncover the truth about his creation and the woman who is trying to steal it. But that's it for this show, and we'll see you in the future. It's the sci-fi tech time.